Welcome to another episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Today, we have an exciting session for you all. In light of the International Women's Day celebration, we have brought to you a fantastic podcast that will be addressing the topic Amplifying Women's Voices in Agriculture. As far as agriculture in Africa is concerned, enough cannot really be said about the challenges and roadblocks hindering women's development in the sector. However, we believe that it is high time we amplify the sources in tandem. And so we have three amazing women thought leaders in the agri-food sector on this podcast. We have Jolie Dawson, CEO Thrive Agriculture and Nutrition Consulting in South Africa. We have Dr. Mitzlag, CEO Ecopia in Ethiopia. And we have Ndidi, co-founder and managing partner of Sahel Consulting in Nigeria. These women have individually disrupted the agriculture sector across the continent with their unique innovation, contributions, and stock leadership over the years. Through their powerful voices, we will hear electrifying stories of the impact and sources of women in the sector in Africa, and hopefully, we hope to challenge other women actors to lead the change to keep an equal future and economic recovery in a connecting world. I have my colleague Jane on the podcast as well, who is going to be facilitating this week. Let's learn a bit about our guests. Tell us about your background, your journey into the agriculture sector. Julie, Mixland, and Lily, over to you. Thank you so much. And first of all, I'm really excited to be part of this exciting podcast. And I think the role of amplifying women's voices, particularly in this month, is of huge importance because all women working together, we can really change the world. So a little bit about my journey. I've fairly recently started my own consulting firm, but I have been working in the agriculture and nutrition sector for probably five or six years exclusively. But I have been close to the sector for my entire life. If I think back to when I was a child, my grandfather was was actually a farmer and some of my best memories as a child are actually growing up on the farm and helping him collect eggs and pull carrots out of the ground and eat them live on the farm with him. So my real love for agriculture and understanding that we were part of a system, it really started when I was an extremely young child. If I then kind of fast forward a little bit into my academic career, I decided that science would be the best place for me to really apply my knowledge and my natural passion for the area. So I studied microbiology and zoology. And when I realized how slow science can move, I started to experience some frustration with that. So I decided to move into business and use the skills that I'd acquired becoming a scientist in the business realm and really then starting to apply that. I then shifted into working in the consulting space where I could really work with organizations, whether they were businesses, whether they were NGOs, or whether they were actually donor foundations. I could work with all of them and really help them understand what the real critical issues were on the African continent and really bring some local context to the discussions that were being had and very often being held and decided by the kind of northern hemisphere. So I wanted to be part of the voice to change that narrative. Now I want to be part of the solution in shifting the way that agriculture is done in Africa and my motto for the organization that I've started, Thrive Agriculture and Nutrition Consulting, is very simply that agriculture is the master key because if people 
have got strong livelihoods that they can build local economies, they can uplift the entire community within which they operate. And they can also assume that people will have decent nutrition and that they can then uplift themselves right from the very grassroots level and get people prepared to, first of all, have a positive impact, but second of all, be a springboard for where they're going. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much, Jolene. I think we'll go over to Mitz Lagno for her introduction. Hello, my name is Mitz Alal and I am from Ethiopia and Ecopia. How did I come to the story of agriculture? Very long journey because my story starts as being an entrepreneur all my life long. I never worked for somebody else, but I became an entrepreneur as my colleague before me said because of searching for solutions when I was 12 years old in Addis Ababa because somebody who was very poor needed operation and my parents didn't want to pay for that because I brought all the problems home. So I started to work in order to pay the operation of a beggar. With this, after one year of working, I have been able to save money and there it starts my journey of being an entrepreneur. But my professional career, as you know, I have a doctorate totally in another issue, which is the issue of a strategy and a military strategy, because I worked with the United Nations against the chemical weapons, and I got many African nations to write and sign and ratify the chemical weapons convention. And this time, the reason I did that was because in the schedule chemicals, there are many chemicals which you use them for development in the industry of textile, in the industry of food, agriculture, but we were denied. And I started with that. But my journey from Europe to Africa started 20 years ago, and specifically 15 years ago when I started to establish Ecopia. Ecopia standards Ecopia ecological products of Ethiopia. And it does produce agriculture products, which are food, cosmetic, and herbal medicine. My achievement or my challenges and today's achievement lie that when I went to back to Ethiopia 20 years ago, the gap between the rich and the poor became more bigger and the post-harvesting loss was very huge. And so the only place I could work the space given to me was to solve the problem of post-harvesting. With that, we started with food and then moved it to cosmetic and to herbal medicine. So I consider myself as an entrepreneur and my education helped me a lot to be resilient. And as I come from, as I say, from a military background, I never been in the army, but I studied strategy. It helps me to be strategically to move and more than that, to develop what I call it, the man side of my brain. And this I will discuss later on what does it mean. It is my story. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ms. Lai. It's great to hear about your story. And Didi, we'll move over to you for your introduction very briefly. Hello, everyone. It's really a pleasure to be on this podcast with amazing women from across the continent. I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria. I'm a social entrepreneur. I was really drawn to the food and agriculture landscape from a young age. And this was further reinforced during my time in the United States, where the face of Africa, the hungry child, 
this faith Africa talks to me because I know Africa is naturally endowed for agricultural excellence. And I rejected this notion that Africa was associated with hunger and decided to devote my life to changing this narrative through action. And over the last 12 years, I've immersed myself fully in the food and agriculture landscape through Ace Foods, which is an agro-processing company that sources locally and processes for the local market and export through Sahel Consulting, which works across Africa, transforming the agriculture and nutrition landscape. And most recently, I'm excited to be part of Nourishing Africa, uh, which is helping scale a new generation of African entrepreneurs who will ensure that Africa nourishes itself and the world. And so my desire through my lifetime is to ensure that the face of Africa becomes a healthy, happy child that is well-nourished and lives to their highest and full potential. Thank you. Thank you so much, NDD, for that. You know, it is really amazing that all three of you have founded and are leading companies in the agricultural sector across Africa. I would love to know what key challenges have you encountered in the landscape, especially as women? And also very important, what critical changes have you fostered in the sector that you have thrived in despite these challenges? Let's start here in the so as a woman in the sector, I still see huge gender gaps. And this is very prevalent in leadership roles, not only in policy, but also in research and development, in large processing, logistics, and in inputs production. We see women in landscapes such as primary production and low income retail, but we don't see women throughout the value chain. And this is an issue. Personally, I've faced quite a few challenges when I walk into rooms where policy is being determined or where research ideas are being generated and there are so few women. I think the statistic shows about 30% of the leadership roles in these high-level platforms are occupied by women, only 30%. So how have I addressed this? Through my organizations, I've definitely emphasized equity. Both Sahel, Ace Foods, and Nourishing Africa have women in leadership roles. And as you know, women are given equal pay and are promoted and supported. So I've led by example in my own organizations. Secondly, I've tried to serve as a role model and a mentor for women in the ecosystem. Through my recent book, Food Entrepreneurs in Africa, Scaling Resilient Agriculture Businesses, I've showcased women who can also serve as role models for other women. And finally, I've been very active in shaping policy. As the coordinator for the technical working group, envisaging Nigeria 2050, Nigeria 2030, we have put gender on the front burner, ensuring changes in policy around land reform, changes in policy around financial access for women, market linkages, and definitely definitely closing gender gaps across the board through policy interventions. And this is what I'm pushing very aggressively and I'm optimistic that in our lifetime, we will close the gender gap. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Ndidi. It is really impressive how you have set yourself and your organization as examples for change across the sector. This shows how important it is to walk the talk. Over to you, Mitla. Let's hear from you. Well, I would like to put it in a very personal issue, what I have learned and what was the challenge. So as I said, I went back from Germany and Brussels to Ethiopia. And by that time, when I was going back, I was already very successful in Europe. I went as a venture capitalist in order to help the Ethiopian youngsters to start up companies in food, cosmetic and herbal medicine. So the first time I went there, I failed. I failed with my money and I failed with what I wanted 
wanted to do because now reflecting about it is that there was no value chain in Ethiopia. The value chain at that time, the stakeholders in the value chain were only in agricultural production. In agricultural production in Ethiopia, if you want to upgrade it at that time, it was only from small, medium enterprises to make it to the big ones. And this was mainly dealt, you need equity, you need money, which is big money, which you need to go to a bank or to a venture capitalist where you have to convince that your product is and you have the market. In the Ethiopian circumstances, I suppose, and like any other African circumstances, the players in all the stakeholders were only men and nobody would have given me a money to say I'm making it big. I didn't even try. But that was not my sector also. And the second reason in the processing why I failed at that time was because me, I came from the big town and I went to big town to Addis Ababa and the players, when you want to make a processing, which I was doing like dry fruits, I made jams, juice, all the food products, I had a problem to connect, to orchestrate the whole stakeholders, which are 32 stakeholders. And the key ones were in the logistics and in the supermarkets. They really played all the man's, what I call it, man's game. What does it mean, a man's game? A man's game is that often the man, as a child, they have learned this experience that they can go through. They say no, and they say no. And they will make deals behind you. And later on, when you come, they would just will tell you, we don't have, or they would not pay the check. And I would give up. And I think one of my weaknesses at that time was that the man in my community had no other choice than that one. So they go forward. Me, I had still a second or second choice, which means to be a mama, which means to be a wife, which means to do a small, medium enterprise and all these things. So I am the only in Ethiopia and Ecopia is the first company which orchestrates now all the organic food chain and cosmetic chain in Ethiopia. So in the food, even after we made it and we brought the products in the supermarket, you have to understand we are mainly women in my company and half of them are deaf groups. So when we reached it in the supermarket, the Ethiopian law said only 15% of margin of a profit. But we as a producers, we were only allowed to make 15%. So the law was again against us, which we changed it. But then what I changed it totally was I said, okay, in that food sector, there are a lot of people which I have to fight. Then I started to produce the what we call it the garbage bin uh, of the food. We started to produce cosmetics from the byproducts of our food processing, like a mango, avocado, all the seeds. And there, there was no law and we were able to make a margin profit of 60%. And for the men, the Ethiopian men, they cannot do those whole value chain because it has a lot of emotions involved if you want to move from food to cosmetic and herbal medicine. So if there is one thing I learned is that actually we need to go beyond our epigenetics. What does it mean? Like the two ladies beside, we need mentors and role models. We only know our moms, which were mother, wife, uh, and as well as providing food, we still stay with that platform. We need leaders, which transforms our DNA, which is our epigenetics, they call it in science, that you can make it, you can change it, that you are not a victim of your past and you are not a victim of a DNA. So with this approach, I restarted the companies every time 
and I studied uh, neuroscience and that helped me to be beyond the challenges and to be a role model for Ethiopia. And I have learned to say no, and I have learned to persist and I have learned to make networks. I have learned to use my networks for money, for market. I have learned to use my ability as a woman to talk for a purpose. I think those are the way to achieve it, I say, and this is the way I made it. Thank you. Thank you, Mitla, for that. Your show of resilience is really admirable. And I think women should keep pushing forward despite the several rejections we might get. Julian, can we hear from you? Thank you. I'm really excited to share my perspectives and I'm kind of going to take the middle road between Ndidi's response and that of itself. My own personal journey in terms of challenges, I've largely spent the majority of my career in very business orientated settings. So in that context, I've almost always been one of the only women that is operating at boardroom level. And you have to learn to, to speak the language of men. So you have to be able to put away some of the softer stuff and really speak about the hard numbers and have the difficult conversations and pushbacks. So the point that you raise now around resilience is absolutely key to what women need to rise above. But if I can just think about some of the other things that I've, I've come up against, I've always been very clear about what my desire is to change the narrative on what Africa is and how agriculture can be part of that solution. And I truly believe that African agriculture is the place where we can really shift the dial and allow Africa to leapfrog like we have in the telecommunications sector where we've gone from no phones to having only mobile phones being highly penetrative, where we've gone from the banking sector from having unbanked people to people largely using mobile banking. I would like to see and be part of the solution in helping the African continent be that place where we can take very smallhold farmers that are fairly low yielding in terms of what they're doing and shift the dial that we can leapfrog into a place we're highly productive and support Ndidi's vision with Sahel and with Nourishing Africa in making sure that Africa becomes a net exporter of food, which means that we can provide more than sufficiently for our own needs as a continent and take into context that we're going to have a growing population and we're going to be elevating many more people than the rest of the world into the middle class and all the implications that that would have from a food perspective, but then also lifting that out. So in terms of challenges, I've come across very male-dominated industry leads and being able to speak their language. So you need to be able to converse very um, eloquently within that context, but you also need to not take no for an answer. Be very clear about what it is that you want and be flexible in how you think that vision is going to come to fruition. So you need to be clear about where you're going, but the how is kind of where you need to be a little bit flexible as a woman. That was a my thought. Thank you so much for all your responses. I mean, you faced it all from environmental stereotypes to navigating the male-dominated sector. And you've been able to foster a lot of changes, from policy changes to ensuring equal pay for women, to being role model for those who work with and speaking up in board meetings and all of that. Thank you for the amazing work that you do across the sector. And you know, in the same vein, we've seen a lot of agri-food SMEs springing up across the continent. But on the Nourishing Africa platform, we have more men than women members who are leveraging the various resources, the tools and opportunities on the hub. And yet we see that more men are willing to come out to tell their entrepreneurial stories and they're raking in funding from local and international investors. So we wanted to know, is this a case of an information or opportunity gap for men versus women in the sector in Africa? Or is it a case of 
more businesses and innovation are being owned and managed by men in the sector. So what is it? What would be your unique experiences for each of your regions? So I'll start with Mitzla um, to help us share some light on this. You know, I think storytelling has been in the past. It is like what I say, I every time come back to this DNA and epigenetic issue because that is what helped me to overcome the challenges for myself and the others. Storytelling has been often in the past and the public storytelling was given to the man. So we have to learn to tell the stories what we used to tell to our kids behind the doors in the public. And a man can tell the stories because they don't have the challenge of exaggeration. Exaggeration is an element of a big one. When you tell a vision, it doesn't mean you have to achieve it 100%, but you have to make it big so that everybody can see and find itself. And often a woman, at least myself, I had a challenge to explain my ideas and my stories as big as possible so that others can come and join with me. Men, they have by their nature the capacity to tell stories of their success. And we know it from our husbands, men or lovers and how they tell their stories, how they can exist. Exaggerate. I had the feeling we think only that we have to tell the story where we can be proven and prove it that is 100%. And this has to change. Telling a story is a story giving a vision. And the other reason is because one has to understand we still are in a structure where we women have less time because as a, an entrepreneur, especially if you are a social entrepreneur, you still have still a lot of responsibility. Responsibility to your employees, responsibility to your partners, responsibility in home and responsibility to your children. And so you prioritize your time and you say, okay, if I have to tell a story, do I have to tell it now? Can I do another thing better? You have still the choices. I think that is one of the reasons we don't come very often in front. The second structural problem is, you know, most of the small and medium enterprises or food sectors in Ethiopia, for example, are informal sector. And to modify from the informal sector to formal sector, you need the base, the early stage, the seed capital, the startup capital in order to go to the big equity where you are discussing big money and the issues with the others. So we have to make it able for our young girls to start with the seed capital and with this, they can come and tell their stories. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mitzlal. I really appreciate that. And I really uh, understand where you're coming from in terms of how women need to prioritize their time and task and uh, not able to you know, go out there and share their stories. I'll go over to you, Jolene, for your insights on this uh, particular topic. So I think that there are some things that we could do differently. So I do see the, the fact that there tend to be more men on the Nourishing Africa platform that are going after and being going after the funding and being successful. I think that there's an opportunity here. And I wonder how much of it is the mechanisms of communication that we are using to speak to women. In my experience, when men are running agriculturally focused organizations, they see it very completely as a business venture. Women see it as a business venture, but they all also see it as a way that they can have their own impact and give something back so they can get somewhat emotionally involved. So they maybe are not being quite as hard-nosed, if I can use that term, as they could be. And when they hear no, it, it hits them a little bit harder than it would a man. If a man might get no in a specific situation for funding, he's gonna go other places and find, say, well, didn't get that funding, but I'm gonna go after other funding. I think that there's an opportunity for us, number one, to speak differently to women and maybe use different platforms and different mechanisms of getting the word out in terms of what funding 
is available and how you go about doing that. That's one part of the, the problem that I see that can be turned into an opportunity. The second thing is that generally speaking, women entrepreneurs have not maybe got as strong a grounding in terms of going after funding and that whole process to really become an exceptional professional business person. It's a much harder journey for women. We need to break through a whole bunch of different glass ceilings and break a whole lot of stigmas that are attached to being a woman in terms of being successful in business first and even more so in the agricultural sector. So I do think that there is something around us supporting women from a knowledge point of view so that they can put forward the best sketches that they possibly can. So I think those are two potential opportunities that are currently challenges for women entrepreneurs in agriculture to think about how, number one, is to better information to do things better, but secondly, how we communicating with them and provide it through channels that are more naturally open to them. That's really great insight, Jenny. Um, and um, maybe it is high time that really stakeholders begin to explore different options to engage women and ensure that they are able to tell their stories and put themselves out there. Uh, and Lady, what do you think? I agree with both speakers. Definitely, there's a mindset shift that has to occur. When I meet a lot of women entrepreneurs, they, they like to say small is beautiful and they want to keep everything small so they don't get too famous or too wealthy. It will affect their marriage prospects. Their in-laws will think they're not good mothers. Society will frown on them. And so they almost suppress their ambition. The sad reality is that investors want ambition. They want scale and business rewards scale. Uh, so I always start off by telling women that they have to dream a bit bigger. They have to be able to sell their story, but at scale, package themselves at scale. And you know, many companies are not profitable for many years, but what they're selling is the vision for what success looks like at scale. Nourishing Africa, focusing on that million entrepreneur mark, instead of saying we have a thousand entrepreneurs on our platform, people are excited by the million entrepreneur mark. And so that shift in in how we communicate, how we package ourselves, how we tell our stories, our mindset is so critical. The second that we have to actually attack the biases that exist in the investment community and they're very real biases. You know, they say that investors always ask women about work-life balance or they ask women about, you know, the CSR and impact of their interventions as opposed to the revenue profitability side of the business. And it's it's a subconscious thing that perceives that women are more you know, empathetic, they care more about community service. And that's often true, but it also then means that they're offering women less money because they're positioning the business almost as an impact business as opposed to a growth and profitability business. And I think we have to change mindsets. We have to attack those conscious and unconscious biases that continue to limit women's access to financing. And we have to do this through explicit quotas, explicit windows, explicit programs, um, and then a lot more handholding of women through the investment and the negotiation process. That's really powerful, and I definitely agree. A change of mindset has to happen in the landscape. Women need to dream bigger, as you've said, they need to sell their vision. And we need our stakeholders to explore other opportunities, platforms, and tools, tailored specifically for women to bring them to the table and engage them. I'll move over to Jane to continue with some questions on our end. Jane, do you have more questions for our guests? Yes, I do, Ramat. 
So back to UNDC, we have seen less than 25% of women in active leadership roles across the sector. Despite this statistic, do you agree that women have made tremendous growth over the past decade? And what trends have you seen that can be leveraged on for more women to achieve growth? I think it's been a mixed result. I actually don't think we should be congratulating and celebrating our successes just yet. The World Bank released a report just last month that was actually quite worrisome when it comes to women. It said that in Nigeria, women farmers produce 30% less per hectare than men, driven by the reality that women farm less valuable crops, use fewer inputs, and labor is less productive for women. The data also showed that women entrepreneurs obtain profit 60% lower than men. This statistic is glaring because we all know that if we close the gender gap in countries like Nigeria, we can achieve an additional yield of 2 to 6% of GDP. We can achieve millions and billions of dollars in revenue, improved livelihoods, and improved outcomes if we close the gender gap. So when I hear statistics like this, they actually make me quite sad because there's no reason why women should be producing less value than men. And this ties to a couple of issues. The first one is access to land, and not just access to any land, access to useful and productive land. In many of our projects throughout Nigeria and Yam and Cassava, we find that women are often allocated less productive land, almost land that's been abandoned by others. And so we need urgent land reform. We need to change inheritance laws, and we need to ensure that women have equal access to land and highly productive land. The second is that we definitely need to address the challenges that I've mentioned around financial literacy, financial access, training in good agronomic practices. We need female extension workers. We also need to ensure that we provide access to market linkages. And I would love to see women moving more into logistic, processing, and more value-added components, ICT, financing, and to get in board positions and on leadership roles for all these research institutions because we need women in decision-making positions. I'm so excited that Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala is now the Director General of the WTO, the World Trade Organization. And I think under her leadership, we're going to see more inclusive, resilient, and equitable trade. And where trade is concerned, women have such an important role to play. And if women are playing an active role in trade, we're going to see a lot more movement in agriculture and food landscape because food is such a pivotal component of trade. Thank you so much for your insight, Ndidi. Indeed, we need more women taking core positions across the agricultural sector in Africa. Misa, what's your take on this? Okay. Well, you know, I am a food processor and I deal with the market. And one of the challenges I face in going into the bigger market is partly the network and the vision or the, the perception others have. In general, when I talk about Ethiopia, that is the country where I know very well, can you imagine the small and medium enterprises, two thirds of the small and medium enterprises in Ethiopia, the license are owned by women. But those perception in the Ethiopian industry is that it is a men dominated industry. It is really true that the women who owns the license are mainly traders. They are not processors. They are not in the production facilities. So from a statistic perspective, there is a misconception and miscalculation or um, classifying it. The biggest part in Ethiopia, I don't know in other African countries, is mainly done by women. But the burden for us as a woman is a lot. So if we want to progress, for example, in the case of 
of Ethiopia in the countryside. I work in 14 sites. Is that I have to develop kindergarten beside my company in order to facilitate that more women can participate. So there is a lot of infrastructure activities that need us if we want that the woman comes out from the informal to the formal sector. That is one layer of the problem. As mm, the others said, it is very important that we are in the process of logistic and in the process in which we do, which I do, for example, in my case. But when we come to the market, the market perception is still, for example, we have a natural cosmetic products in Ethiopia. It took us very long to convince the middle class and the top of the pyramid to buy our own products. They still prefer or they still feel comfortable to buy products which are coming from Europe. So what we did was we changed the strategy. We produce it in Ethiopia. We produce also some in Germany and then we sell it with our label of Germany. So as the problems are complex and a different part, I think such kind of podiums are going to help to solve some of the problems. And more than anything, we should really use a network for us to expand for those who have made it also to make it beyond because we have now the free trade, Africa free trade organization. We should start to convince and to be proud of our own products, the African products which are produced by African women. The promotion of the woman, the promotion of our product is also going to create the leadership and the promotion of our working style and products. Thank you. This is a really amazing insight, Mr. Julian, can we hear from you? I think that the statistic of, of having more women involved in agriculture is probably reflective. My query of the statistic comes from the fact that at what level? I think in my experience, in some of the work that I've done in Tanzania, in the work that I've done in South Africa, Mozambique and Kenya, in all of those places, there have always been women that are working in agriculture and they've always been part of the system, but they've almost been invisible. And I think partly what the shift is that has happened is that women are starting to find their voices and we're starting to say, hey, we are here, this is what we're doing. And I think that is something that is hugely positive. My challenge to this is that there are too few women that are in leadership positions. As Ndidi said, there are far too few women that are in real decision-making positions. So I do think that in order for you to succeed, you need to have somebody to look up to you that you are comfortable emulating. So there is space and a requirement, in my opinion, to have far more women in leadership positions and women in, in decision-making positions that we can start to shift some of those conscious and unconscious biases. Um, one of the key things that I've also come across in my work is that women tend to do the work in the agricultural value chain as well as in the supporting networks like the processing, the logistics that we've all mentioned. But there, first of all, is the pay gap and that's if pay is even levied on the work that is done because the work that women tend to do is very much more in the primary production space. So I think we need to embark on a journey where we start to embed key voices in leadership positions and decision making and we start to create career paths for women that they can see that there are other things that they can do besides just growing subsistence level foods, that there are ways that they can start to create surpluses, that they can start to sell this, they can start to scale their businesses, they can start to think about expanding into logistics, into production and start to really do that. I think what Mitzel also said around creating pride around Africa 
token products is part of that process. And I think we're in an interesting space right now where everybody is looking to Africa because it's one of the final frontiers where there is still available arable land. So I think that we're at the right time to really systematically change where we are and embed more women in the system. Awesome. Thank you to all three of you for sharing those amazing insights and stories. And I wanted to quickly allude to something that Lydia had mentioned earlier about you being excited about Mbozi Okoju, where becoming the DG of the World Trade Organization, which actually brings me to you know the topic of other women growing in the sector. So what experience do you have with other women growing in the sector? And you share some success stories or otherwise of other women in the industry industry and more particularly how have these stories shaped your own journey in the agriculture sector in Africa and Lydia I would like to start this with you always been inspired by women entrepreneurs and was particularly drawn to women who had achieved success in manufacturing and processing because this is so difficult. One woman that impressed me early on in my life was Stella Okoli, who is the managing director of Emzo Pharmaceuticals, and she has built the largest indigenous pharmaceutical company in Nigeria, displacing import and proving that proudly Nigerian products can compete. And she really inspired me when we started Ace Foods because we wanted to not only displace imports, but prove that proudly Nigerian spices and breakfast cereals and snacks were just as good, if not better, than imported food. And we've proven that over 11 years. So having those role models and mentors allows us to see that it's possible, that because they've done it, we can do it too. Now, about Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala, she has also served as a mentor for me for over 20 years and as a role model. And just her tenacity, her courage, her authenticity, her comfort in her own skin, a proudly African skin, her commitment to excellence, that just really, really inspires me. And what even makes it so special is that she's a, not only a professional, but she's also a mother, a grandmother, and is happily married. And her children are all exceptional, all graduates of Harvard, all uh, fulfilled in their own professions. And she's proven that it's possible to have it all. Obviously, not all at the same time, but seeing women who can combine all of those hats and do it with such excellence gives us the hope that we as well can achieve the same. So I think we need to also be those role models for others to emulate and offer our shoulders for others to climb on. I love the quote by Isaac Newton, which says, if I've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. And so I think more women should provide their shoulders for other individuals and entrepreneurs to stand on and even see further and achieve more than we've ever dreamt of achieving. Really, really critical. Thank you for sharing that. We need the shoulders of other women to climb higher. Julian, what do you think? So I'd like to share a bit of a personal story in this one and my own career of all of the mentors and women in leadership or rather people in leadership that I've come up against and worked with and worked for of the people that were by far the toughest number one to impress and number two to get guidance from have tended to be women and I think that's part of the, the industry that I was in that people feel like I've had to learn all the very hard lessons myself so I'll be damned if I'm going to help you. you need 
need to learn the same hard lessons that I've learned. And I think that that's the wrong approach. So Indeedy's comment around making sure that we provide our shoulders to be the giants on which other women can stand, that's critical. In terms of the two examples that I'd like to share of successful women entrepreneurs, one is a farmer who is actually a multi-award winning farmer. She was a professional HR person in corporate and despite never having any agricultural expertise herself or anybody in her family that was even vaguely interested in the industry, she decided to leave her very comfortable corporate job and start farming. And this lady is unbelievable because what she's been able to achieve within a five-year period, she started leasing a farm where she was growing four specific commodities and she's got an offtake agreements and she's now moved to the point of view where she's now got a highly technologically advanced farm and she can spend the majority of her time at home managing her team remotely because she's got the technology on her farm to be able to make sure that it's getting the right amount of water, that it's getting the right amount of fertilizer and she's, her team is simply there to ensure that everything goes according to plan. They're not doing as much physical work as they were. So this particular person is phenomenal. She writes weekly for some of the Farmers Weekly in South Africa and she's just a phenomenal human and her platform, she is absolutely amplifying the voice of women in agriculture. She's a phenomenal human being. She's the CEO of Green Terrace in South Africa. Um, so that's one example. Another example is actually an American um, who's also coming from ex-corporate and her own story is that she was in a very comfortable corporate position and she literally woke up one morning and said, I'm not doing enough with my skills and she sold everything. She was living in New York City and started a hydroponics farm in Botswana of all places. So she moved away from New York, had never lived anywhere except America and started up her firm in Botswana. She had a couple of different failures of different businesses, but she is now the CEO of Infinite Foods and is now currently being awarded the best plant-based business in the world currently. So her success story and her leadership team is 50-50 women, is completely equitable pay, and there is no division between what women can do in the organization and what men can do. So she has provided that avenue and example of what you can do. And she is currently running a program right now where she is incubating African businesses to ensure that they've got all of the capabilities made available to them as well as the funding in order to be able to compete side by side with some of the leading plant-based brands that are international brands. And she's part of that success story and making sure that these businesses can be incubated to get to that level where they can compete with international brands. And 80% of the businesses that are being incubated are run by women. So those are two examples of fantastic women that have been huge successes that I've seen. Thanks, Julian. So great to learn about the work of these two amazing women that you shared. And I'll go over to you, Mitzlan, for your input on this. Well, thank you very much. The others have been telling you beautiful stories. For me, as the first one to start was a film, The Baby Boom. That was inspiring. And then later, when I started the company, because in Ethiopia, I didn't have anybody I could learn from. I went to Kenya and I went to South Sudan at that time also because of this project route. And that was very impressive for me because it is a social enterprise. It, whether they made it in a big scale, but the fact from nothing in a 
community base that they could start was impressive for me. So I took it one step forward. Then later on, I went to Nigeria. In Nigeria, I learned how to expand and how to become a big companies. Because as I say, as I make natural cosmetic and because of Shia butter, I learned from some of the ladies, which I forgot their names, an impressive way of transforming the industry. So as a result, I have made in Ethiopia now, I make 10% of my time in order to become an example for others so that they can learn how we made it. And as the other one said, it's really vital that the others should not do the hard work we have done, but we should give them the shortcut because we have seen it in the continent that we can move, we can bridge the 300 to 400 years in one time. And that is the example I could share with Thank you. Thank you so much, Mitzla. Really, the upcoming generation of women in the agribusiness sector are blessed to have all three of you to look up to when setting up their businesses. So for our next question, we know that despite the COVID-19 pandemic, women across Africa still launch several innovative ways to sustain their families, businesses and livelihoods. And we have great examples in all three of you here today. Can you share specific insights on how you are able to manage your businesses in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic? And how can we convert this show of resilience into an equal opportunity world for women? Let's start with you, Ms. Love. Thank you very much for that question. You know, because of COVID-19, we needed to be creative. So what we did was we diversified our supply chain by using a digital means. My company wanted to introduce digital, but we couldn't in the past for different reasons. And that was the breakthrough because the Ethiopian logistics supply chain was totally broke down because of COVID-19. And we just made it because we digitalized it in our system. And how did we make it? We made it by using the mobile phones. We had all our mobile phones of our suppliers, the stakeholders, and we transformed them to a supply chain logistic networking. That was what we did. The second thing what we did was we made the online shop as strong as possible. We fitted that with our stories. What I made was all my employees, plus all the farmers, I started to ask them to tell their stories like as if they would tell it to their children how they are making it and to get involved. So we increased our sales, the online sales, especially in Europe, we increased it at 50%. With that, we cover all our costs in Germany to, to, to sustain the COVID-19. So we are making now, on the base of the COVID-19, we're moving one step forward, which we are transforming all our incubation centers. We are creating a virtual um, training instead of physical training. So I think COVID-19 had the blessing for us, not only the challenges, because in the challenge of COVID-19, you needed to be creative. And creativity, really, it can happen much better with the woman when you are talking to. And we could talk to because of the possibilities with Zoom, with WhatsApp or Viber. And that facilitated the transaction, which was in the past used by the man, and we were depending on them. So I think for us, COVID-19 came as an opportunity to jump and I'm very glad we made it. So we are considering now our online shop not to be only for uh, Europe but to go to the African market and I'm looking forward to use this platform to have a network and a relationship in the market itself. Thank you. Thank you for sharing Mitra. It's really impressive how you were able to leverage technology to grow your company even during the pandemic. And Gigi, coming here from you next. 
Thank you. So the last year has been quite challenging because through Sahel Consulting, we have very active projects in the dairy, cassava, and yam seed systems across Nigeria. And we're working a very, very difficult state that are also affected by rising levels of insecurity and the devaluation of our currency coupled with the security crisis in our nation has made this quite a difficult period. As the company, we've had to pivot and adjust. And I always tell entrepreneurs one thing I've learned from COVID-19 and 2020 is the importance of agility, agility, agility. Your ability to quickly shift base, quickly respond, quickly pivot to make sure that you stay relevant. I mean, we had to make 16,000 masks for our farmers. We had to split our training groups into groups of 20 and hire more extension workers because we couldn't have over 40 or 50 people convening in one location. Um, we had to keep working because food is essential during lockdowns uh, and food is medicine. And we had to even improve policy to ensure that our staff and our workers could continue to operate to ensure that we could stem a food crisis in our country. And more than ever before, we had to get involved in advocacy and form unusual partnerships at state level, at local levels, and also at the federal level. And for me, I think one key lesson is that there's no entrepreneur who can survive in Africa, either female or male, without being involved in shaping their policy and ensuring that their ecosystem works for them. And then it's also critical that we build in resilience into our DNA. And I cover this extensively in my book, the importance of actually planning for shocks. Uh, we have COVID-19 as one shock. There are going to be so many future shocks linked to climate change, future pandemics. And I'm not a doomsday messenger, but I believe that as entrepreneurs, we have to ensure that we stay resilient and embed this into our DNA by embracing insurance, by putting in place plan B, plan C's, plan D's into everything we do, and by having a healthy and robust savings and being able to pivot. And I think if we learn these hard lessons, we will thrive and we will survive and we will build back better. And Africa and everyone, future generations will benefit from the changes that we're making today. Thank you so much, Inditi. Julie, over to you. My story is a little bit of an interesting one because amid the peak of the COVID pandemic was exactly when I decided that my then employer was not being agile enough and was not thinking about things in a long-term strategic way. So that's when I decided, well, now is the best time to be starting my own business. <laughs> so I'm a little bit of an anomaly and I'm very happy to admit that. But part of what I do and how I do business is I, first of all, think very long-term, but I act now. So. I have contingency plans in place for almost all eventualities and a lot of people think it's a waste of time to really be doing that planning on if this particular scenario plays out, what will I do? I have a lot of that stuff and that's just my natural way of doing my life personally or professionally. So in that context with me making the decision to move away from a very safe corporate environment and actually start my business in the deepest um, crisis that the world has seen for an extremely long period, I think that's testament to, to how I approach things. But related to that, I think it's not only about being agile and being resilient and being long-term focused. It's about doing those little bits of things right now. So, by the way, 10 things on your to-do list is too long. But say you've got 10 things on your to-do list today, you need to know which of those are the absolute must-dos and which of those are the, the nice-to-haves. And you need to make progress every single day. So that's about the acting now. And I think even when you're faced with the deepest, darkest challenges that you could ever have imagined, you need to find a way 
way to make progress. So that's just something, it's having some long-term vision and, and plans in place of what happens if, but you need to know that you can make a tiny little progress or step every single day towards what that vision looks like. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm sure all of our listeners have learned a lot from your experiences. I would now hand over to Ramas for the final question. Okay, so I'd say you women have shared awesome, awesome insights on this podcast so far, and we really cannot thank you enough. But to close us out, I have just one more question for you, and that's really based on all the wonderful insights, challenges you've enumerated, and the solutions that you've provided. So if our listeners, women out there who are in the sector, have to take you one thing away from this podcast, and really because Africa needs more women to stand up and contribute to fight against hunger on the continent and tell the stories and create more opportunities for other women as you have said so far. So what one or two critical advice and resources can we share with women across the various cultures and environments on the continent to help them grow and achieve sustainable and profitable businesses? I'll start with you Lily. So I have two quick messages for all the women listening in and for the men as well. The first is, I think as African women, we need to dream bigger. We need to come out of our comfort zone and embrace this decade that as far as I'm concerned, is our decade to shine and to achieve the SDG 2, which is zero hunger. So we need women who are bold, courageous, determined, resilient, agile to really seize leadership. A friend of mine says, no one is going to give you a seat at the table. You have to bring your own chair, create your own space, get comfortable and dominate. The second thing is that we need male champions. And as mothers, we're raising sons. As wives, we're working alongside our husbands and our brothers. And we need to rise together. This concept that one has to lord it over the other and that there's not enough room for both of us at the top is untrue. And we need to dispel that myth. There is so much white space in Africa. Let's grow the pie together and rise up as equals in this continent and create a continent we can all be proud of. And so we need male champions by our side. And I think in our food and agriculture ecosystem more than ever before, we need to celebrate those men who are supporting women. And we need to encourage and nurture more men to become male champions so that together we can rewrite the narrative and ensure that Africa becomes a net exporter of food and that we nourish our children. And I am confident that working side by side with our male champions, we will achieve this in our lifetime. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure connecting with you all. Awesome, thank you really so much for that amazing insight. Mitzlan, I'll go over to you next. Thank you very much. Well, me, it is my dream that Ecopia and principles that is uh, to establish companies within the base of the pyramid or within the communities to reach to the top of the pyramid. Um, so I'm interested to anybody who would be interested to create such kind of a system to provide my assistance through the platform. Secondly, for those who would really like to start from scratch, started from the post-harvesting loss and then develop it to the top of the pyramid of the production itself. And it's really, really possible to do that. And you don't have to invent the wheel. In the past, when we started, we needed to buy the recipe, we needed to buy the product information, all those things. But today you can get it with a click in the YouTube on and other ones, and then you need to work on it. And if you need a sister or a brother who would need to help you in today's Africa, 
Kenya is not alone in Kenya. Ethiopia is not alone in Ethiopia. We are all connected and we can provide the information, the resources and the guidance is needed. So anybody who would like to produce food, cosmetic and herbal medicinal plant, I will be very, very happy to stretch my arms and to do it with and to find a win-win situation. Thank you for volunteering, Mitzla. I'm sure that we will be able to connect those who are looking to engage you on the Nourishing Africa platform. You are our member. We're happy to facilitate that connection. Jolene, we're going to end the podcast with you. So what resources and tools and opportunities do you have to share with other women out there? So I think first and foremost, I'd like to agree both with Mitzel and with Ndidi. I think women need to be clear that they want to stand up and create that vision of where it is that they're wanting to go. So in order for you to create a clear vision, this is a little bit around the topically what good looks like. So you want to do X, that's fantastic that you want to do X, but how do you know that you've reached X? How do you know where X is and what X is all about? So how do you know what good looks like and be very clear and very detailed about what that vision all entails. And a way that you can go about becoming very clear on that vision is not starting with what you do, not starting on how you do, but focus 100% on why it is that you want to do what you want to do. And when you're sitting down with a piece of paper and figuring out what your vision is, ask yourself why you want to achieve that vision and ask yourself why at least three times. Why do I want to do this? And get an answer then say, okay, but why do I want to do that? And then go a little bit deeper. So that you can really understand what your key driver is as to why you want to achieve your vision. So be really clear and really detailed about why it is that you want to do what you want to do. You can then be a little bit more flexible on the how you get there and you can have a look at a whole bunch of different options to get there. And then the last thing that you consider is what it is that you need to be able to enable the why for you to the how. So you work it kind of bottom to top. The other thing is, and this is a huge thing that all women and the three of us specifically on this call need to do, help other women make sure that whatever you do you are the platform and you help other women not have to learn the same lessons that you learn but rather get your learnings and take it even further than you amazing i'm sure that our listeners will agree with me that it has been a fantastic session with you three wonderful women thank you so much for sharing your insights and resources and your experience with us on this podcast and i would like to leave our listeners with these four critical insights that you've shared just now indeed i said it is important to create your own seat at the table it is also important to create male champions as there is an opportunity to rise together. Ms. Lala said that we need to leverage existing resources as women out there. There is no need to reinvent the wheel. Leverage other people who are doing similar things in the space. And Jodie, you've capped it all. There's a need for women to focus 100% on their why to be able to build their businesses. And last but not the least, women need to help other women out there. Thank you so much for the fantastic insights. I have found them useful and I am sure that our listeners have found the same. Thank you all, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Do join us next time. Bye-bye.